17, titled, John, Jesus Washes the Disciples' Feet. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hours had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel tied around his waist, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash your feet, do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed you does not need to wash, except for his feet, but he is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put, out, put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand that what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is no, not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Thanks, Rob. Thank you. Um, Rob, uh, for people sitting down the aisle here, pick up one of those blue books, pass them down the aisle. They're our prayer and communication books. Uh, If you've got prayer items, we would love to pray for you. Or if you want to know more about this church, or if you'd like someone to visit you, or um, anything like that, you can write them in those books, and we'll follow them up during the week and pray for you during the week as well. Beautiful. Last week, coming out of Easter, um, we reflected on who Jesus was and that as the women encountered him at the grave and discovered that he had risen from the dead and it was just as he said it would happen, (laughs) that Jesus was who he said he was, that he was God. (laughs) that he had come to earth and dwelt amongst us. God incarnate, God with flesh on, that Jesus was who he said he was as uh, we followed him through his death uh, into a new life. And just as we uh, sort of looked at some of the women standing by, we saw too uh, the pain and agony that Jesus went through. And we recognize that uh, he did that willingly for us. He died in our place. He took upon himself the punishment that was due us so that we can have life. Life to the full. A new life. 
that uh, we can live in its fullness now, but also into eternity. Are you continuing to think about that? Have you still got a a smile on your face because of Easter? Smile on your face because of who you are through him? Bit of a spring in your step as you enter this week? And like I said, none of all of us have had easy weeks and it's not easy in front of us. But that's what hope does, doesn't it? It helps us to smile when we think we can't or to take the next step when we don't think we have the energy to do it. And Jesus says, I've given you hope for this life and for the next. And we remember that those who believe in Jesus, they said he, uh, who he said he was, who, and, and he proved himself by rising uh, from the dead and ascended to heaven, that uh, these people that believe that, as Christians, we are given a new identity, a new purpose, a new power, and a new family. That we are now known as the children of God. That we have the ear of the creator God who responds to us as his children. He loves us as his children that we are known as heirs of this kingdom. We have every spiritual blessing. Everything is given to us by the Father. That we are declared righteous, that we are right with God. There is nothing that separates us from him now. Are you thinking about your new identity of who you are in Christ? He's given us a new purpose. We said that, uh, that he was out, that we've given to not only keep this good news to ourselves, but to tell it to others, to our children, to our neighbours, our friends, our families, but not only to tell it, but to live it, to demonstrate it, to engage with people's need, to engage with people's hurt, to engage with people's lives and show them what the love of Christ looked like, a new purpose in our lives, a new power that Jesus said, wait from this power from on high. And we talked a bit about the spirit coming in us that actually allows us to do that. Have you asked for the Holy Spirit this week to help you to be more gentle or to be more kind? Have you asked for the Holy Spirit to help you to be more bold and more courageous? Because Jesus (laughs) said, I've given you power to be able to live this new life. Did you ask for power as you knocked on the door of your neighbour or as you invited someone? Or I just think about, you know, just people that talked, you know, like Helen. Do you ask, God, I don't really know what I'm going to say here. I need your words. And Jesus said, remember Jesus said, don't worry about the words because I'll speak on your behalf. And then we get this partnership thing happening. We have this new power that as we speak our words, and often we think they're useless and they're stupid and they're stammering and they're not very good but God has said I'll 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 make them powerful (laughs) and that he has given us a new family that we don't do this alone that we do it in community we do it as brothers and sisters in Christ that we live in love together as we demonstrate this love to each other and we demonstrate it to the world. Remember Jesus' words when he said, they will know that you are my disciples by your love, and the next point, for one another. So not your love for them, which they will experience, but your, the way that you live together in this new family, this new identity, this new purpose, this new community of power, the way you live together will demonstrate me to the world. 
Have you preached this week through your life through the way that you've loved those around you? Reminding ourselves of who God is and who we are collectively uh, because of him. So coming out of Easter with his truth, we want to continue to explore uh, this purpose that God's laid on our hearts about moving people in following Christ. And as we've come out of the Ezra-Nehemiah thing, we're thinking about sort of rebuilding our vision and retweaking our vision around growing disciples and caring for people and reaching the world. Um, and that we're doing that around Jesus. We want to do that around him and who he was, how he lived, and how he now calls us to follow him. And we want to explore that uh, together this year as we work out how do we become more like Christ and how do we demonstrate him more to the world. And so for the next period, for, I don't know, some three, six, eight months, I don't know, however long it takes us, we're going to explore a little bit what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be his disciple? So in our uh, services, we're going to uh, explore that a bit together. How do we become uh, better followers of Jesus? How do we help others become followers of Jesus? And uh, this morning, we want to begin by looking at this statement that Jesus is Lord, Uh, that Jesus is Lord. We hear it a lot around the church and uh, some of you in your life groups may have uh, watched that Alan Hirsch clip that um, got us thinking about what does it mean for us to be a people that make this statement that Jesus is Lord. Uh, Because as he um, says and as you go through the the New Testament, um, right the way through the New Testament, this becomes a resounding phrase of followers of Jesus, that we declare Jesus to be Lord. He is our Lord and Saviour. And if you've been in any church circles for any length of time, you would have sung about it, you would have spoken about it, you would have um, used those words, prayed it. But the question is, (laughs) as I've been uh, thinking, do we actually know what it means? Or is it something that we just trot out because it becomes our Christianese language? And so we want to explore over the next few weeks a little bit about what this means. Um, Because it's a fairly important uh, uh, idea in the Bible. So I just want to do some um, word stuff first. What does Lord actually mean? It's from the Greek word kurios. Uh, which means uh, Lord or um, Sir, Master or God. Um, And the idea is that a Lord is someone who has power and authority over someone else. Um, Just to give you an idea, this word or this term is used just in the New Testament about six or seven hundred times. And if you look through the Old Testament, this term Lord is used about 7,000 times. So you get the idea that this is a fairly important term for us to understand what it means. So before we go any further, I want you to turn to the person next to you and just tell them what you think the word uh, Lord means or how you've experienced. If someone asked you, uh, tell me, uh, some, explain to me the term Jesus is Lord Uh, Just do that now. Just do with each other for a minute or so. It's interesting, I often find it interesting when when you're forced to actually, oh, how how would I actually explain that? (laughs) It sort of becomes a little bit, oh, yeah, uh, it's, yeah, it is, oh, it's something like that, or, oh... 
but what about the grace side of Jesus or what about the love side of Jesus? How does that work in with this? So hopefully uh, during this message we'll get to explore that a little bit together. Um, the term uh, kurios, so sir, master, God, this is in the, in the, as you read it in the Bible, depending on who the term is used of, it has a different definition. So you can use it as a term of um, sir, like that's just kind, you know, thank you, sir. And it's just, a, you know, almost like a, time, a term of respect. That people would say, thank you, Lord, thank you. So it's a term of respect. Or it can be uh, slaves, you know, that their master was Lord. Yes, Lord. And so that, that sort of goes to another level of authority um, and strength. Or it would be used of um, divinity, a god. And that, that would have ultimate uh, lordship, uh, over that. So as we um, it, it go through this, keep asking that question, what does it mean for me to have Jesus as Lord of my life? What does that look like? How would I explain it to someone else? Keep asking, as I go through this, keep asking that, what does that mean for me? How does that look? What does that mean for me this week as I meet with my mates or when I go to work or I'm on my holiday? What does that, how does that look? What, what would I explain it to? Or how would I explain it to others? Um, and so at Jesus' time, there was another claim. Someone else was claiming this. Does anyone know who else was claiming this uh, statement of someone was Lord at the time of Jesus? We'll go to the next one. Yes, Caesar. Uh, there was a statement going around at Jesus' time that Caesar is Lord. And when Caesar was using that term, he wasn't just using it as sir or master. He was using it as that I am God and your life is in my hands. And basically, if you would not say that Jesus was Lord, you would be executed and you'd be killed. And um, many Christians at this time were crucified because they would not declare that Caesar was Lord because Jesus was Lord. <laughs> and uh, one of those, if you know your church, early church history, was a guy called Polycarp. Polycarp was a bishop in Smyrna in, uh, where is it, AD 167. There you go. Um, and he was uh, an early martyr. He was burnt at the stake. And as he was burnt at the stake, he made statements like this. If you think that I will swear by the genius of Caesar, then you don't know who I am. Hear me clearly, I am a Christian. <laughs> and if we go to the next slide. As he was burnt at the stake and people gathered around he said, 86 years I've served Christ, and nor has he ever done me any harm. How then could I blaspheme my king who saved me? I bless thee for dying or for deigning me or considering me worthy this day to die as a martyr and drink the cup of my Lord Jesus Christ. In those days, for you to say Jesus is Lord was that you were being willing to die for him. <laughs> And he was burnt at the stake as people watched. And if you think that's just a first century situation, you've been reading the press, haven't you? You know what happens when you declare Jesus is Lord to a member of ISIS? Or if you happen to be in a classroom in America and a gunman comes in and he asks who here is a Christian and then he kills them one by one. 
then it's different to declare Jesus is Lord. <laughs> what are you willing, or how are you willing to show or declare that Jesus is Lord? We, we don't have that threat here in Australia, do we, yet? Or maybe it is happening already. So what does it mean for you to have Jesus as Lord of your life? I want to explore that a little bit. As Jesus, um, in this passage, uh, he claims that he is Lord. I don't know if you picked it up, he's washing the disciples' feet, but Peter twice refers to him as Lord. And then Jesus says, yep, that's right, I am who you said I am. I am Lord. And in all senses of the word, (laughs) sir, master and divinity. And this sense of, um, I was trying to find a, a, a term or an idea that conveys this idea of lordship. The one I could probably come to that's still a little bit here is the idea of a landlord. Well, even though today that's a bit sort of watered down because tenants have so many rights nowadays. Back in those days, you know, the, law, the landlord had ultimate authority. They said exactly how you would live or you wouldn't live on their land. That's where, um, if you think back to England, the lords and ladies, they were sort of often owners of the land. They determined how you lived there, uh, what you did, how much you paid. Uh, and to a certain extent, they owned you. And Jesus calls him Lord. (laughs) You call him Lord. Do you understand that that, that has the sense that Jesus owns you? And as we think back on some of the things that Jesus has said to his disciples along the way, he says, if you want to call me Lord, if you want to be my follower... (laughs) Then he says this, in the same way... Any of you does not give up everything cannot be my disciple. Everything is owned by me. Every aspect of your life is owned by me. And uh, in case we're thinking that this is uh, a little sort of phrase that we can trot out every now and then and uh, think that our God will be happy if we continue to say that Jesus is Lord, Jesus reminded people a number of times of this sort of thing. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And I don't know if you can remember the context of that statement. It was a, a statement that people were coming to him and saying that and doing all sorts of work for Jesus but they weren't actually doing what he said. <laughs> and that they were in it for themselves, to their own glory. They were doing powers, powerful miracles or wonders. They were in it for themselves and they weren't actually serving the poor or helping the needy or engaging with those who were lost. And Jesus brings this idea. He says, if I am Lord of your lives, a sign of whether that's true or not, is whether you do what I say. And so you can't just come and sing it in church or pray it around your Christian friends. (laughs) But Jesus says, you display it by how you live your life, what you do, think and say. Obedience 
is a sign that you're living this out. And obedience is doing what the Lord has asked. That followers, as Jesus says in this passage, what did he say after he washed his feet? After you now go and do the same. I've given you an example to follow. So go and do what I am not suggesting. Jesus wasn't suggesting these things. He's saying what I command you to do. And so we have this idea that lordship, Jesus' lordship in our life is a little bit uncomfortable, isn't it? Are you a little bit uncomfortable with what I'm saying here? You should be. I am. It's a little bit harsh, isn't it? That Jesus would say these things or demand these things or command these things. But this is a beautiful thing of the gospel and of Jesus' lordship, isn't it? And particularly this passage is that Jesus redefines lordship as well. Because we often interpret lordship from a worldly perspective. And we've probably already been doing it this morning. We think about dictators or people who abuse lordship. But Jesus then showed his disciples what perfect lordship looked like. And so what does he do? <laughs> he takes off his coat. He gets down on his knees and lordship equals being a servant. And so he comes and he shows them how to live this out. He demonstrates, he practices what he preaches. He gets down on his knees and he does the work of a servant. He is willing to lay down his life for his servants. So remember the Lord was, had the servants under. He was willing, that's, this is what kingdom lordship looks like. It's ownership and it's command, but it's also serving and loving and grace. And this lordship of providing protection and care was given by the perfect Lord that demonstrated that to his people. And the perfect Lord, if you think of the perfect landlord, or if you think of the perfect uh, Lord and Master, they were ones that wanted to see their people flourish. The people in their care, or the people in their kingdom, or whatever, they wanted to see them flourish. And you've got to think of this in their Lordship. Jesus wants to see us flourish. He has given us commands that will enable us to flourish at his pe as his people. Remember his laws, he said, are not burdensome, but they're ones that bring freedom and joy and hope as we seek to live them out. And Jesus, at the end of this passage, through John 13, 14, 15, can you remember what he says to his disciples? He said, you've called me master, but now I call you friends. And so lordship and friendship get emerged together. And what does he say? No greater love you can have for this is that you would lay down your life for your friends. And then he says, go and do what I've showed you to do. And so that makes me think, if Jesus is Lord of my life, who have I laid down my life for? How have I shown my friends what Jesus' lordship looks like? How have I served them as he's commanded me to go and do that? 
And so back to my example, my neighbors. <laughs> my command is to go to them, but to demonstrate love, to show love, to serve, to live out the gospel. And so we have this idea of Jesus' lordship, and this comes out in that clip. If you've watched that clip, I put it on Facebook this week if you want to have a look at Alan Hirsch's clip, where he, he says this line, God or Jesus is good, but he's not safe. You know that idea? He's good, but he's not safe. Because a lord challenges the idols that we have in our lives. You can only have one Lord in your life. There's, also, there's always one at the top. And if Jesus comes in, he's challenging all the others that are vying for that position. That's uncomfortable for us. That's challenging for us. Because remember, Lords determine how we live. The things that own us determine how we live. And so we ask that question of ourselves, who or what is Lord of our lives? And yes, we would all say Jesus, or many of us would, but is that what's lived out in our lives? In that clip he says, lords are not easy to live with because they begin to challenge our lifestyles. They challenge and he uses this uh, term, which is quite a nice term. He cha it challenges our middle-class sensibilities. That we, particularly as wealthy, well-educated Christians, can actually become risk-averse. So um, that means that we rely on our money and our intellect before we rely on God. And so if we're relying on our money or our intellect, those things are becoming lords of our lives. I want you to think about what that look like. How does that work out? Was it, is that, I don't do that, do I? Just do a bit of an examining as we go through this. What happens if Jesus asks you to do something that you can't do? What do you do when something comes into your path that you can't do anything about? Do you try and work it out yourself? Or do you go to your bank balance or your wisdom or, your, or do you go to God? <laughs> Lords who own us and have asked us to do will stretch us. Um, Tim Wood, you know, from Mount Evelyn, uh, he preached this sermon and um, has used this illustration to do a little bit of a test as to what is Lord of your life and these sorts of things. Your bank statements or your credit card statements will tell you what Lord of your life is. You start to look where, where you spend your money. Who determines what you spend your money on? So Jesus determines what car you drive, what clothes you wear. Jesus determines what career you choose, 
where you live and why you live. And I, I, I just had to think of, you know, the, the back in the, the, the day, the uh, what would Jesus do, bangle things. You know, we, we all think they're daggy. <laughs> but they're true. It's true, isn't it? That's the reason it took off was because it was true. That we need to be asking myself, what would Jesus do in this situation? What would Jesus do in this? Because I'm his follower and I want to be like him in this situation. So one of them is your bank saying, the other one is your calendar. That'll show you who your Lord is. Where do you spend your time? Why do you spend your time there? And that doesn't mean that, oh, if I spend all my time doing work, that's bad. No, God's called us to work. But how do you do that? Why do you do that? And you remember Jesus' words? <laughs> that when you do, or is that Paul? That might have been Paul. Uh, when you work, work as one serving the Lord. Do you view your workplace like that? Do you view your schooling like that? Do you view your university like that? Your calendar. Everyone's busy, but Jesus determines what goes in your calendar. How do you even do that in practice? And I think back to Polycarp who says, I'm a Christian, so I'm willing to die. So what am I willing to cut out of my life in order to live Jesus' way? Or what do I need to see in fresh ways? The other one uh, that Tim said was uh, your search history on your computer. If someone to have a look at your search history on your computer or your Facebook story, they flick through, unrolled your face, that will determine, that will show who your Lord is. Would people be able to determine that Jesus is Lord as you looked at your search history or your Facebook story? And so as I preach this, remember we've just come out of Easter and this is what lords do. They convict us. And this is what the lordship of Christ does. He convicts us about this. But then as we come out of Easter, what does he do? He preaches the gospel to us. He says, I died on the cross for that. And so as you know that conviction, you also then need to know that through him, you have forgiveness, you have restoration, you have reconciliation. To the point where Jesus, and I believe, forgives and forgets those things. That he chooses to forget that. And he says, now come with me again. As I convict you, now come into this new life with me and live as Lord, with, Lord, as, with me as Lord of your life. And I think we can easily do that as Christians, can't we? In that clip, and I talked about it when we preached through Revelation, remember the church in Revelation 2, the Laodicean church, that they were worshipping him while Jesus was on the outside of the church? And this is the idea that we can sing Jesus is Lord, we can even talk about Jesus is Lord, but then when I go and play soccer on Wednesday night or I go and work or I'm on my computer... <laughs> that we push Jesus out. <laughs> and so this behaviour, what we do, how we spend our time, money and intellect displays who we are.
I was thinking of that church in that clip. He talks about the Revelation Laodicean church is one that is wealthy and well-educated. That's us. We're wealthy and well-educated. And as I was preparing this sermon, I was quite convicted. God convicted me about this. And for thinking, particularly for us as one hopers here, and I was thinking, is Jesus Lord of this church? Does he determine what we do and how we do? And as I was doing this, I was convicted that I know that over the years, I've depended on my own intellect. I've depended on the budget of this church. I've depended much more on systems and organisation than I have on the fact that Jesus is Lord. That I'm happy to talk about what our church does <laughs> rather than about what Jesus does. I was convicted about where's my prayer practice been? Am I showing that Jesus is Lord by depending on him in prayer? I'm happy to talk about all this stuff, but have I shown hospitality to my neighbours? And as I was preparing, I had these two things simultaneously happen where I was convicted and loved at the same time. That I was called to a place to repent and believe. And I was brought to a place of tears that led me to smile. And that's what Jesus' lordship does. He convicts us, he brings us to tears and saying, we haven't lived that way. And then he offers us this new life and this new freedom and say, go and do as I do. And I'll empower you to do it. I think that was Peter's example, Peter's reality. He would have left there with a smile on his face as he recognised And we know that he still had his ups and downs. That's what we do, isn't it? But we repent and we believe. We're convicted and we believe. So Jesus' lordship not only convicts, but it empowers us to serve. As we followed through his life, uh, through his death into this new life, we now have a powerful example to follow. That we recognize that our Lord went through everything that we do. In any situation, we can go to him to know that he actually lived this out. He didn't just preach it, he practiced it. And so we have a Lord who commands and empowers us. And that's both that scary and good thing together. And just as we wrap up, I want to think of a couple of these situations. Paul talks about marriage, and when he talks about marriage, he talks about submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the way that you submit to Christ and his lordship is the way that you are supposed to submit to one another in your marriage. And you think of the the, the verses after that, and think of relationship after that. Wives, submit to your husbands as Jesus is the Lord of the church. So this is how it practices out in our relationships. And then we remember, husbands, you are to serve your wives as Jesus did the church. So that is, you're to die for them. Friends, remember what Jesus said, or the the words, obey your Lord, um, 
in this, no greater love than there is to have than you lay down your life for your friends. What does that look like with your friends? In your work situation, Jesus has called us work in your work situation as working for the Lord. Remember the poor and the needy. When Jesus confronted people about this, he said, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. This is how we demonstrate that Jesus is Lord, the way we love each other, the way we love the poor and the needy, the way we love our friends, the way we follow Jesus' example. And Jesus has said, go and follow my example and I'll empower you to do it. Let's pray. Lord and God, Heavenly Father, we come to you because you are our Lord. You are our Saviour, our King. And we want to give you glory this morning. We pray that our lives would demonstrate your Lordship. And Lord, that we would be able to keep those two things in balance. That conviction and freedom. Lord, repentance and belief. Tears and smiles. And that we would be able to live out this paradox of the gospel. Just as you did. Lord Jesus, help us to follow your example and help us to live your ways. In the name of Jesus, amen.